The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. He is risen. <laughs> All right. You guys sound a little bit tired this morning. He is risen. He is. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church, and it's my pleasure and joy to open up the Word of God with you this morning and teach through the passage that we just read. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we have some Bibles that uh, we would like to give to you as a gift. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you didn't bring one, uh, Sue is in the back, and uh, it just put your hand up in the air, and we will make sure that you get a copy. This is our gift to you, our Easter gift, so please take it with you and enjoy it at home or share with others. We read, uh, Serena just read uh, Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 49, and I'm going to talk through it this morning. If you received one of those Bibles, you can turn to page uh, 516, and you'll find the passage there in on page 516 and following. Um, yeah, this is Easter. This is this is what Christmas, uh, Christmas, this is what, this is Easter. This is what Christianity and being a follower of Jesus is all about. Uh, if it was not for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, uh, Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, we would have no faith. There would be no point in gathering together, worshiping Jesus and following him. So this is an important day. If you're a guest with us, as I look around, I see a lot of faces I, I don't recognize, so welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you are a normal attender or even a covenant partner, we're glad you're here to celebrate this time. Uh, we look forward to uh, getting to know you better uh, as the day goes on. Let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the message. Father, we, we want to take this moment and we want to acknowledge you as the one true living God, the maker of heaven and earth. We know, we believe, we confess that you sent your son, that he might live a life that we could not live, a life free from sin, that, that he would willingly lay his life down as a sacrificial death in our place, to take the punishment of all our sin upon himself. To give up his life and then to raise from the dead. And we look to this risen Jesus this morning and we want to exalt in him and we want to worship him. And Father, we pray that you would so work in our hearts and our minds this morning that we would clearly see our Lord Jesus, and that you would increase our faith, Father, as we may have questions or struggles with this truth because it is so fascinating that one would rise from the dead. So, Father, we ask over these next few moments that you would do a work that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit, opening our hearts and our minds to believing and following this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christianity is 
obviously shaped by Christ. That's why we call it Christianity, to be a follower of Christ. And there are certain things uh, about the Christian faith that uh, Christians around the world hold as true, that, that we hold in common. So the Christian faith is shaped by beliefs. Um, and these beliefs that we confess as Christians around the world, um, they're only authoritative, they're only instructive to us insofar as they accurately tell us what the Bible teaches. One of the historic creeds or confessions of the church is the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed states this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This confession, this creed known as the Apostles' Creed, is a representation of the core beliefs of Christians, the, as we believe what the Scriptures teach about what it means to know God, to know His Son, and to follow Him. However, while all of those things are true, and we affirm those things to be true, and here at Gospel City Church, we teach these things and, and confess them together, we all recognize that if it is not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. Nothing in our creeds and our confessions matter if Jesus did not rise from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key to all Christian belief and practice. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, said this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The passage that we read a few moments ago is a historical retelling of what happened on Sunday after Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on a Friday. He was buried. And on Saturday, the, the Jewish people observe the Sabbath. And so on Sunday, at first light, they went to prepare his body for burial because they didn't have time when they buried him on Friday. And so we pick up in the story in, in chapter 24, and we're told that on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They were taking spices to prepare his body. Jesus had died. Death is a reality in our world. Death is a result of sin. Everyone who is born 
will die. It is truth in life. One of the founding fathers in the United States would famously say there's only two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes. This week, my family came face-to-face uh, -face with death. Uh, my dad has a really close friend that they've been, uh, some of you know that my dad was diagnosed with uh, leukemia uh, about a year and a half ago. And about the same time he was diagnosed with leukemia, a very close friend of his was diagnosed with lung cancer. And while my father was uh, improving and, and the treatments for cancer were helping him and he was recovering, uh, his friend uh, continued to struggle. And this past week she succumbed to cancer. She died. And yes, it's because of the cancer, that's what the death certificate says, she died because of cancer. But if we look at it theologically, if we look at it in the scope of eternity, we know that cancer is a result of sin. We're told in the scriptures that sin entered into the world, and when sin entered into the world, death entered into the world because of sin. Death is a result of sin. And we live in a world where we are impacted by sin on so many fronts, whether it is cancer or other diseases or viruses. Sometimes we're impacted by sin because of what people do and decisions that they make that are not good, and they act in ways that are not kind and helpful for others. Sometimes it's us. When we exercise our own sinfulness, our selfishness, and we do not put others above ourselves, and we seek to make much of ourselves rather than making much of others, we exhibit sinfulness. And that sinfulness leads to death. Everyone has sinned, the Bible says. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus, Jesus died. He died. And it was very confusing for his followers because they had put so much hope on him that he would be the one who would lead them and guide them and, and overthrow the oppressive government. And they had all these expectations for who he was and what he would do that they could not and did not clearly understand who he was and what he intended to accomplish. So this group went to the tomb to prepare his body uh, in a culturally appropriate way for burial. And they get there, and they look, and verse 5 tells us they were frightened because they had seen two men who were in dazzling apparel. And these two men say, why are you here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? What a confusing question, right? You, you want to find somebody who's alive, the last place you go is to a cemetery. You go to the cemetery because that's where people are buried, not where people are living. And these ladies are asked, why are you here? The one you're looking for is not here. He is risen. 
And then they tell them, remember, Jesus himself said that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that he would be crucified and on the third day rise. And then they remembered his words. Say, oh, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? But how in the world could they even understand what he meant? How could they understand? I mean, people just don't rise from the grave. It doesn't happen. That's not a thing. My dad's friend who passed away this week, she's gone. She's gone. Many of us in this room, whether in the recent past or in years ago, we've lost someone that we love very much. We don't expect to see that person walking through the door today because we know that death is a final thing. The Bible tells us that it is appointed to everyone once to die, and after this, the judgment. And yet, at the tomb, these women are told, he's not here, he's alive. How confusing this must have been for them. How strange, how odd that the one that they anticipated burying appropriately didn't need to be buried because they're being told he's not there. So they went and they told the other followers of Jesus and some of them ran to the tomb and were told in verse 12, Peter rose, he ran and he looked in and he saw the linen clothes that Jesus had been wrapped in. And they were there, but Jesus was not. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus rose from the dead. If you walk away from here this morning and you remember nothing else that we said or talked about or sang about or anything else that we did, remember this. Jesus rose from the dead. Literally, physically, bodily, rose from the grave. It wasn't just a myth. It's not a fancy story. It's not a children's bedtime tale. Jesus literally, physically, bodily got up and walked out, that, walked out of that grave. Jesus rose from the dead. Well, we move on to the second paragraph in, in our story, and we're told about these two men who were walking uh, from Jerusalem to a village named Emmaus. And on their way, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And if you follow the story, you kind of get the idea that what they're talking about was this viral event. Now, obviously, 2,000 years ago, we didn't have social media. Social media didn't exist, so you couldn't have viral videos. There's no TikTok and no dances and you know none of these things that are going around and that everyone knows about. There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's nothing. And yet there's a viral moment that's happened. And they're talking about it, and everyone knows about it. Perhaps you have been a part of these moments where social media is not necessary for us to understand that something important happened. 
growing up in the United States of America, uh, I was often reminded that if you were alive when President Kennedy was assassinated, every person who was alive at that time knew where they were the moment they heard the news. Even as a small child, I was like five or six when, uh, maybe a little bit older, but I know where I was when the Challenger shuttle exploded. I was home watching it on TV, and everyone in my generation knows where they were. Maybe a little closer to home here in Malaysia, maybe you remember that morning waking up a few years ago and hearing about MH370 and how it had just disappeared. And we all collectively knew where we were. And then just a few short weeks later, I remember where I was when news started circulating about the Air Asia flight that had crashed. It was a Sunday morning. I was sitting in the balcony at Pontai Baptist Church. I never sit in the balcony, but for some reason I was in the balcony that day. And I looked and everybody was on their phones and everyone starts talking and I pulled up my phone. What's going on? And in the headline, Air Asia had the plane that crashed. It was a viral moment. Everyone knew. Everyone was talking. Everyone heard the news. It was a big deal. And everyone knew something. They may not know the whole story, but they knew the headline. It was a viral moment. And, and here in Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, is a viral moment. Because these two guys, they're walking, and Jesus comes near to them, and they don't know it's him because they're, I mean, why would they know it's him? They're not expecting to see Jesus, right? Like maybe somebody who looks like Jesus, but it can't be Jesus. But it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what's the conversation? What, what are you talking about? And they looked at him and they were like, are you, are you crazy? <laughs> what's wrong with you? Are you not the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? And Jesus, I just, you know, I love Jesus, obviously, because he is my Lord and Savior, but sometimes he says some cheeky things, and I love it. <laughs> and he says, what things? <laughs> what things happened in Jerusalem? And they said, well, concerning Jesus, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, and before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. He was crucified. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. So they're just telling him everything that had happened, everything that they had experienced, the headlines, the viral moment. And Jesus is hearing them talk about himself. And Jesus says in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe everything that the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and enter into his glory? And then this is astounding. Verse 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, the first thing I want you to walk away here remembering is this. Jesus rose from the dead. Non-negotiable. You walk out of here, so what did you talk about at church this morning? We talked about Jesus rose from the dead, okay? That's number one. Number two, if you can remember two things, I want you to remember this. 
Jesus is the one who opens people's minds to understand and believe what the Bible teaches about him. Mahatma Gandhi said this when asked about Christianity and what the Bible says. Gandhi says, it's about a man who is completely innocent. He offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and he became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Intellectually, he was able to understand what the story of the Bible was and the truths that the Bible taught from an intellectual standpoint. But even though he could appreciate the beauty of the story, he did not submit to the Lord Jesus as God. He did not believe the truthfulness of the story. See, there's one thing to know the story. It's another thing to believe the story. And here, these two guys on the road to Emmaus, they knew the details of the story, but for whatever reason, they didn't fully comprehend and appreciate the truth of the story until, until Jesus began to explain to them everything in the Old Testament, how it pointed to him. You know, we recently, uh, some of the folks sharing testimonies this morning mentioned how we just went through Genesis, and we just completed our, our journey through Genesis, and we did it in phases over a long period of time, but, but think about how the Bible points to Jesus. And here it says that he began in Moses, and when it says that he began in Moses, it means that he began in the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he started where we started a few years ago when we opened up the Bible and started teaching and preaching. Think of how Genesis portrays Jesus and points to Jesus. Think about Genesis chapter 3, where there is a seed that is promised that would come from the woman who would crush the serpent. His heel would be bruised, but he would crush the serpent. I wonder on the road to Emmaus if these two guys heard Jesus saying, well, you remember Genesis chapter 3, 15, how there was promise that a seed from a woman would come that would suffer, his heel would be bruised, but he would crush the enemy? Well, that was about Jesus. How about all the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? We're told in the book of Hebrews that they all died without seeing their faith made sight. Well, could Jesus have been telling these two guys on the road to Emmaus about how all of those promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were made real in him? How about the story of Isaac when Abraham took Isaac up on a hill to sacrifice him? And just before he sacrificed him, he was stopped. And I, I love the story because Isaac, on the way up the hill, says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham tell his son? The Lord will provide. 
when the Lord stopped him from sacrificing his son, he looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And he took that ram and he sacrificed that ram. Was that ram pointing to Jesus who would die in my place? Just as that ram there died in place of Isaac? How about Joseph? We studied about Joseph and how he was sold into slavery and betrayed by those who were closest to him. Was Jesus not betrayed by one of the 12 who was closest to him and suffered because of that betrayal? Or how about Judah, who offered himself to be a sacrifice instead of his brothers? Jesus sacrificed himself. He made that offer of himself. I mean, that's just in the book of Genesis, and that's not even exhausting Genesis and how all the different pictures and portraits and looks towards Jesus are there. I mean, it's flooded. Think about other Old Testament portraits of Jesus in the book of Exodus. Jesus is foreshadowed as the Passover lamb. In the book of Deuteronomy, God says that one day he will rise up a prophet who is greater than Moses. Who is the prophet greater than Moses if it's not Jesus? In 2 Samuel 7, David receives a promise that he will have an eternal throne and he will have a son, an heir who sits on that throne. Who is that king if not Jesus? The Psalms are filled with prophecies and allusions and portrayals of the coming Messiah that were fulfilled when Christ came. The prophet Isaiah tells us in verse 53 about a servant who would be beaten, who would suffer and be rejected. And if you ever go back and you read Isaiah 53, oh my word, like it could have been written the day Jesus was crucified, and yet it was written over 500 years before the event ever took place. The prophet Daniel in chapter 7 talks about the ancient of days whose kingdom will know no end. Who could that be if not Jesus? Jesus himself, when he was walking and teaching, and he used Jonah as a very clear example of who he was. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Jonah was pointing to Jesus. The prophet Zechariah said that the Christ, the Messiah, would enter in Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. I mean, there are so many pictures and portraits of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, and not just as a reigning king, but as a suffering servant, one who would give himself for his people. You see, Jesus is the main character in the Bible, even though he doesn't show up until almost two-thirds of the way through. He's the main character. It's all about him. It's all about him, and the most important thing that he ever did was rise from the grave. He rose from the dead. So he tells them all these things, and then he stays with them, and they sit down to eat, and he begins to break bread. And verse 31 says, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
Oh, that the eyes of your heart would open and you would recognize Jesus. That you would see him for who he is in all of his glory and splendor, his goodness, his majesty, his worth, his might, his kindness. Oh, that you would see him just as these two saw him. And then, this is crazy. I mean, this is really crazy. It's not quite as crazy as someone rising from the grave, but it's pretty close. It says, he vanished from their sight. <laughs> what? Like, what's going on, right? Like, we, we've all seen movies, and we've seen all the CGI and all the special effects, right? We've seen the Avengers, spoiler alert if you haven't, you know how at the end of the movie, they, there's some of them that just kind of like turn to dust and disappear. Like, was it, was it that? Or, or was it just like, you know, somebody turned out a light switch and just, he was gone? Like, what, what does it mean he vanished? Like, that's so weird. He's breaking bread. They're about to eat dinner. And poof, he's gone. Wait, what? And, and the thing that they say to one another is not, well, where did he go? They say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and opened to us the scriptures? The thing that they were most amazed about was how he helped them to understand what the Bible taught. They were rejoicing in it, and so they ran back to Jerusalem, and they told all the disciples, the Lord has risen indeed. What an incredible, incredible truth. Jesus has risen from the grave, and he opens up the hearts and the minds of his people to know him and to follow him. But it doesn't end there. You see, it's not just that he rose from the grave, and it's not just that he's the one who opens up minds and hearts, but he is the one who sends his followers to tell this story, to continue to tell this story so that those who haven't heard could hear. You see, the resurrection from the dead, Christ's resurrection from the dead, it's the foundation of everything that we proclaim. Once again, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if the resurrection did not happen, to paraphrase him, we of all people are most to be pitied because we're foolish for following a lie. It's the most important event in all of human history. Jesus, in verse 38, appears amidst his disciples, right? So just as he vanished, all of a sudden, there he is. <laughs> like, that's crazy. That's wild. He's there, and he says, peace to you. They were startled and frightened. I don't know about you, but if we're all here and we're just kind of talking and hanging out and all of a sudden somebody just appears, like, we're going to be a little startled and frightened, right? I mean, some of us are going to run out. Some of us are going to scream. Some of us may faint. You know, I mean, who knows what's going to... It's astonishing when these things happen. Peace be to you. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus, in his body... Remember, he rose again from the grave, literally, physically, bodily. He says, here I am, 
Look at me. Here's my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. I'm not just a spirit, but I am Jesus. And then he asks, do you have anything to eat? <laughs> just to prove. Just to prove that, yeah, he is still fully man. He's fully God and fully man, resurrected from the grave. And he's hungry. And one day we're told that those of us who know him and follow him, that one day we will be transformed and we will be like him. And you know what? We will have glorified resurrected bodies. And uh, we're going to be hungry, praise God, because we know that in the coming kingdom, there's going to be a great banquet. And we're going to sit with the Lord Jesus and enjoy a feast. And we're going to be able to eat with him. He told them in verse 44, These are all the words I spoke to you while I was with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so I wonder if it's like the same sermon he gave on the road to Emmaus, or maybe if he said something different. But once again, he began to, verse 45 says, open their minds to understand the scriptures. Something happened after the resurrection to where what people were blinded to before the resurrection, now they could see clearly. Jesus says in verse 46, It is written, The Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name, where? To all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for the message we proclaim. It's the foundation for everything we do as followers of Christ. The resurrection is real. It changes everything. It changes everything. Earlier in the message, I mentioned how we're, we live in a broken world, and we see it most literally when people pass from life into death. It's kind of an odd illustration, but it's all illustrations break down at some point, so bear with me here. But this past week, our family, we were on holiday, and uh, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is I enjoy scuba diving. And uh, I, I, it's, for me, it's really calming just to be under the water, looking at fish and coral and just all that beautiful stuff. It just, it's calming for me. I, I, I love it. Well, this week while we were diving, uh, it wasn't quite as calming as it normally is because uh, the entire dive sites that we went to were just filled with jellyfish. And so we would get in the water and we would descend and you could look around and there's jellyfish. And, you know, it's not so many that you can't avoid them, but they're there and you have, you're focused on them. And instead of enjoying the dive, you're having to avoid the jellyfish. It's like an obstacle course underwater. I didn't put those jellyfish there. 
But you want to avoid those jellyfish because they can hurt. And oh, do they hurt. We surfaced on our dive, waiting for the boat, and Lydia was with us, and she screams. So, oh no, she got hit. And I don't know, 10 seconds later, I screamed, I got hit. It was so painful. Oh, so painful. You know, the thing about those jellyfish is you can try to avoid them, but sooner or later, if you're in, if you're in the water, they're going to get you. you. You can do whatever you want to in this world to try to avoid the effects of sin. You can try to live your best life. You can try to do all the right things, but you know what? We're in a broken world, and sometimes we just can't avoid being victims, or sometimes, you know, even our best efforts just fall short of what God intends for us. I can't remember being in so much pain. I got hit on the back of my leg, and my calf muscle just seized up and my leg closed. And for 15 minutes, I was trying to extend my leg and I, I couldn't, my leg was just cramped up. So painful, big rash was able to, they helped me get into the boat. We got back to shore and you know what happened when we got to the dive shop? Some of you who are divers, you know this, they, they took some vinegar and they poured the vinegar where I was stung. And you know what happened? Relief, immediate relief. The, the pain from the sting was gone. Now, my muscle was still sore because after you have a cramp, you're still going to be sore. And there was still redness. There was a mark. But there was instant relief. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, you may be suffering from sin. It may be sin that you have committed where you have intentionally gone against the clear commands and teachings of God in the scriptures, his expectations for you. You have turned from him. You've wagged your finger at him and said, not your way, but my way. Maybe this morning, it's not something you have done intentionally, but maybe you have been victimized by someone else's sin. You've suffered because of what someone has done to you. And you're bitter and upset. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this morning, look to Jesus. Look to him. He knows what it means to suffer at the hands of someone else. He knows what it is to bear the penalty of sin. When he was nailed to the cross, he was nailed to the cross in my place and in your place. When he suffered on the cross, he was bearing all the weight and all the wrath of God against sin. So that, so that when by faith you look to him, you can receive the gift of forgiveness that he offers, that he won for you. And you say, how do we know that he won anything for us? Because when they went to the grave, he wasn't there. He overcame the enemy. He overcame the grave. He overcame sin. He crushed the serpent's head. And so just like when that vinegar was poured over that 
jellyfish bite and there was instant relief. Brothers and sisters, you look to Jesus, there is instant relief. There's instant relief from the eternal penalty of sin. He offers forgiveness. And he's able to offer that to you because he rose from the grave. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. It changes the way that we understand our purpose in life. It changes how we understand the way we relate to our brothers and sisters, our mothers and our fathers and our sons and our daughters and our cousins and our friends and our relatives and our neighbors and our colleagues. It changes everything about us when we not only just know the truths, but we believe them. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity in the same way that I believe the sun rose in the east and sets in the west. Not only because I see the sun rise and set, but because by it, I am able to see everything else. Let that sink in. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's the joy of Easter, is that the truth of the resurrection doesn't just give us hope, and praise God it does, and it doesn't prove that he's overcome sin and death, but by the truth of the resurrection and the hope that we have that we will be risen with him and that he has overcome, we are now able to see everything else through the lens of the hope of the resurrection. I was 21 years old. I had been raised in a Christian culture. My parents took me to church, but I didn't want to have anything to do with God or Jesus or church or any of those things. I didn't want to read my Bible. I, I thought it was boring and silly and just a waste of time. As soon as I could, I got my driver's license. I got a car and I stopped going to church because I could do whatever I wanted to on Sunday morning when my family went to church. And for five years, I lived an incredibly rebellious life. But then something happened. God started pursuing me. I started having questions about why I was so miserable and just wondering about the purpose of life. And a friend of mine that I had known for many years was a follower of Jesus, and he started talking to me about the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible a little bit. And I remember just after Christmas in 1996, in my car, being confronted with this question. Did I believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Growing up in church, I had heard all these stories. I was like Gandhi. I knew the stories. I could tell you the stories. I didn't care. I didn't believe they were true. But then there I was, sitting in my car. It was snowing. It was cold. And I'm sitting in my car in a parking lot. And I'm just, it, the, the question comes. Did I believe Jesus really existed? Yeah, I believe Jesus existed. I believe it, he was a historical reality. He was a person that existed. 
Do I believe what the Bible says about him? Maybe. I'm not really sure everything the Bible says, but the parts I know, I, I think I believe. Do I believe he rose again from the grave? And as that question just rang in my head, I realized that if I said, yes, I believe, it was going to change everything. Because if I believed he rose again from the grave, it was going to change everything about how I lived my life, why I lived my life, where I went, who I spent time with, what my priorities were. Everything was going to change because of what I believed about the resurrection. And I was sitting there behind the driver's wheel in a parking lot, and I thought, yeah, I believe. And the next week at church, I did the best I could to understand the gospel. I went home, I prayed the sinner's prayer the best I knew, whatever that meant to, to say, Jesus, I believe in you. And my life has never been the same. I won't tell you it's been an easy life, but everything changed, and it all changed on the resurrection. This morning, the Holy Spirit is present with us. We know that when we gather as a church, that we are gathering in the presence of God and that His Spirit is here. And for some of you this morning, the Spirit of God is asking you the question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Maybe up until this point in your life, you've never even really been challenged to consider that question. Let me tell you, based on the authority of the Bible, it is a historical reality. It's fact. There was a man named Jesus. It's historically proven. He did die on a cross. And based on the authority of Scripture, we know because of the testimony of thousands who knew him, he rose again from the grave. And I think the fact that the church has spread over the entire world over the last 2,000 years is testimony to the fact that it's true. It's true that his resurrection from the dead has changed everything in all of human history. And so this morning, I want to invite you, maybe for the first time, to acknowledge him as the risen Lord and Savior, to come to him and fall on your knees before him, worship him as king, and join in this eternal crowd that we call the church, worshiping him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather and to proclaim Jesus and his resurrection from the grave. Lord, may you convince us of the truthfulness of the resurrection and lead us uh, to live in accordance with everything that you have called us to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.